0: Yeah ladies and gentlemen, niggers and crackers, guys, gals, and non binary pals, hot girls and city boys, saints and ain'ts and, and all our Harlem family, welcome,
1: welcome to your very own podcast.
0: Greetings, all. Welcome back to your favorite bi monthly program. I am, as always, your co host, Justin Winley, aka Donald Lover, because real G's move in silence, aka New Spice, look at your man, now back to me, aka Kyle Barker, joined by my boy. Yo, what's up, man? It's Drew, aka
1: Poppy A Parmesan, aka Big Boy Berry Omen, aka Blue, <laughs> Blue <laughs> aka oh, Melanemic Lovin'. What's up? <laughs>
0: These are just you're just getting better. I'm like I'm plateauing, and yours are, are are evolving. We have um we have three great guests with us today, and we're gonna start with Selena.
2: So hi, my name is Selena Inojosa, aka Miss H, aka
3: Senorita Sonriente.
0: And next up, we have Jazzy.
3: Your name is Booker, aka All That Jazz, aka Little Miss Marine, aka the Sound Boost Baddie.
0: Yes, sir. And finally,
4: hey guys, my name is Rick Hiciano, aka Not What You Think, aka Thug
0: Rick, aka Doctor Octopus. I was very proud of Doctor Octopus when I when I came up with it. So we, <laughs> I'm mad he we have big um, big Rick James. Rick James, I could have been one. Oh well, next time he'll be back. Um, so we wanted to bring together kind of a panel of. Uh, this is an idea that Jude. Uh, had a while back and um, we thought it would be really important to talk to some essential workers um, that are in our age age range. Uh, So we have, um, you know, three people here who are all involved in fields that um, are important and um, uh, kind of all had to figure things out for themselves once COVID got popping. So, I guess we'll just start with Selena, you're a teacher um, and you teach a very specific group of people. So talk a little bit about um, your journey to becoming like an educator and um, then the transition from like suddenly there's a pandemic and you have to deal with it.
2: So I've been teaching, this is my second year teaching um, self-contained, so that means that all my students have learning disabilities. But this is my first year teaching kindergarten and first grade with learning disabilities. So I feel like that made it a little harder um, going into remote learning because we have to depend on parents, not just like the students being able to like log in on by themselves and completing the work. So it has been um, difficult trying to reach all the parents and communicating with them to let them know, you know, to sign in. Uh, we had to. I had to create a Google Classroom for each, for my class and then provide an email and login information for each child. And I had to give that to the parents and then teach the parents how to, you know, sign in and navigate the classroom. Um, all my students received, like, speech, um, OT, like, other related services. So I also had to help the related services providers communicate with the parents and then set up... Um, zoom sessions or google meet sessions and so it has been a little difficult because since my students are really young they're learning how to grip a pencil and write a lot of them aren't able to do so yet so trying to teach them that from afar it has been like very difficult because we need to pa- we need to teach the parents first so that the parents can help the child because i'm not there to support the child myself so it has been a lot of um me being able to teach an adult first and then teaching the child
1: secondly. So And um, real quick, how do you see schools go going forward after COVID? Because you also have to be hands-on with these kids. And will there be a problem with you touching a kid teaching them how to grip the the grip the pencil or place a block here? Or even children being around each other playing with puzzles. And doing games like that or counting with the little cubes and shit how does that go forward after covid
2: right so right now it's like all up in the air and like there's no concrete answers they're not giving us like much information as to what school is going to look like but right now what i know is that they're going to do like some days in the classroom and then some days at home and i personally do not see that working because a lot of parents work And so where are the kids gonna go when the parents are working? And um, like what you're saying, a lot of children do learn through play, especially my kids, they learn through play the most. And if they're not able to interact with others, then I feel like they're not going to learn. Um, If I have to, like I teach my students letter names and letter sounds. So they need to see how I form my lips and my tongue in order to produce those sounds. And if the kids aren't able to see that, then I don't really know how they're going to be able to learn, like, the sounds and names of letters.
5: Mm-hmm. And
2: so that's just, like, I have to figure out, like, am I going to pre-record myself at home and then play on the smart board for them to see? Um, so it's just going to be a lot more work for teachers to do, and, like, hopefully we get more time to actually prepare our lessons, you know, beforehand.
0: Yeah. That's – that's um, I just thought it was super important to really talk about that up top because – I think we all can say that like education is very underfunded generally, you know, and um and kind of underappreciated and uh you know, teachers really do have to pick up the slack for a lot of things that the um the government just isn't equipping them to uh, uh to deal with and then you know, even more so when you're um teaching special education. What drew you to that specifically because obviously you know off rip that's that's a more difficult job even in person you know so like back when you were when you were little selena you know (laughs) dreaming of of what you would be one day what what made you think on the face right yeah with the, the taekwondo splits um what made you think about um going into special education
2: well, I actually, when I was younger, I didn't really know about special education until I got into like, college and my school, my school program was designed that I needed a gender certification as well as a special education. And it wasn't until I went to student teaching where I was exposed to like students with learning disabilities. And I found them to be like the most genuine, like most loving kids. And I don't know, I feel like I always like a challenge. And like although like general education students like, do bring a challenge um, every child like although it could be like 10 students with autism they're all different so you have to approach each child differently because you know they're they all have different learning styles and preferences and I just fell in love with students with learning disabilities and so I just that was my first job you know students with learning disabilities so
1: and I have to say, real quick, you were always an excellent teacher. I remember you from when you were young, teaching me when I was 12, or just assisting me in martial arts class. You were always very attentive to all the other kids. So, you, me seeing you as a teacher was always like, oh, that makes perfect
2: sense. Yeah. I, I mean, when I used to staff, um, I used to teach the students their forms mostly. And so mm-hmm. that's when I noticed that, you know, I had the patience to really get across. Mm-hmm. So, from there, I just went on that path where right? I went over to
5: things.
0: Word. And uh, Jasmine, your older sister, um, for just a, a little context for listeners, Jasmine and I also go back to uh, diapers. We've known each other since sure. <laughs> uh, uh, since birth. Yeah. So um, our families are very uh, tight. Like Kiara from two episodes ago, we grew up in church together. Um, and your older sister, Jasmine, Joy, mm-hmm. also deals with special education um, or, or youth yeah. with learning disabilities. Um, do you how much of her experiences has she relayed to you in terms of like carrying on to um, what you would call it remote learning?
3: Yeah, um, I definitely She so she started, she's been a teacher for a while of like younger kids, um, but she started with um, special education children probably about maybe eight months ago. Um, and so she does like one-to-one um, teaching with um, middle school age. So I know that's been difficult for her because some of the parents are like not having them, they're not turning in work or like some of the parents just don't answer their phone at all for like weeks at a time. So I know that's been like kind of frustrating because um, sometimes you really just can't even contact them and to not have that, you know, in-person um connection that is really important with all the students like that has been difficult for her I
0: know word it's definitely an admirable job we're going to circle back uh but picking up with you Jasmine so you are uh you just got your bachelor's in psychology um and you're also studying to be an emergency medical technician is that what EMT stands for yes sir okay good Because I can't read, so I'm glad that (laughs) um, you confirmed that for me. But, uh, yeah, so talk a bit about, you know, your um, selection of psychology specifically and, you know, how you see that intersecting with um, EMT work, if you will.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was originally going to major in biology. um, That's right. goal was... Yeah, I was going to do, you know, go straight pre-med. Um, the more I got into it, when I went to purchase, I took some bio classes, took, like, psych and so was kind of getting all my gen out the way. And then I found when I was taking a psych class that I actually started to like it better than bio. And mm. just because of, like, I'm really super obsessed with science, obviously, but um, I realized that I liked more of science of the mind specifically. Um And I think that mind health is really important when um, trying to get your, like, body healthy. I feel like it has to start in the mind first. Um, So I got really, really interested in that, like, started talking about, like, classical conditioning and things like that um, in school. And I was like, oh, shoot, it's kind of like... You can almost program humans, and I thought that was really cool. So that's what like got me interested in it. Um, so just going straight in that. I also worked in the daycare at school for two years. So that was also I got to do like hands on, um, like learning early education with kids and dealing with psych with them. Um, and so, being an EMT, that's something that I always wanted to do. I was on the EMS team at school for mm-hmm. I think sophomore year. Um, and so, I just finally had the time now to take the the actual class, like the course, to get the certification. Um, and I think it's super super important having my background in psych because I just feel like um, the number one like thing that you have to have, to, like when being an EMT, is like compassion and understanding mm-hmm. of people and understanding that this is by like probably the worst day of their life like when you're picking them up it might be a regular like day or call for you but this is probably this person's worst day ever so being able to relate to a person and step into their shoes and like get into their psych you know their psyche because if you can get them mentally stable then maybe like their body will follow suit so yeah
0: that's how, yeah that's really I've never thought of it that way. You could imagine that probably a lot of physicians could benefit from some mental health um training or you For know sure. and knowledge and application because the, the, and that's part of what we talked about in our last episode um jude is is mm-hmm. really when it when you' when you're dealing with wellness, it is the whole body. you can't yeah. really just try to attack one or you know tackle one aspect of yourself um mm-hmm and and call yourself fit um because there's
1: uh, you not know, everything is
0: just tires like exactly exactly everything is interconnected um mm. and speaking of that you know rick you um are a psychologist now as well you also have your bachelor's from hunter and uh there was something in the in the in the rap sheet that <laughs> so to speak that you sent me that said mental health first aid is one of your qualifications i didn't know that that was a Uh, term. So um, if you wouldn't mind educating me um, about what that is and also just like where you're at right now, um, like Jasmine, what led you to psychology and and how you see it fitting with all the other things you're interested in.
4: All right. So pretty much mental health first aid is a certification, very Mm -hmm. similar to regular first aid and CPR, where if someone's undergoing like a mental health crisis or like panic attack or anything of that sort, where you're going to come in, be the first line of defense, and help that person through that condition or that crisis. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much like giving CPR, but for the like for your mental health. Mm-hmm. That first line of defense before you know nine one one comes in and helps out with the rest of the situation. So that's just a certification gives people you know the baseline training to help people in those in those circumstances. Gotcha. Why
1: isn't that more of a, a a general thing that we should all get? you know, like in a workplace thing, like when you're at work, you have to do a sexual harassment workshop or um, mm-hmm. any other workshop. Why isn't that more... Racial bias, awareness, stuff mm-hmm. like, yeah, that. Shit like that. like mm-hmm. that. Why isn't that in those workforces? Because I think we all can benefit from that and we should all be equipped with those tools if we see some wild shit on the street. Because, you know, we're in the hood. Justin, and I- <laughs> oh, I'm in the Bronx right now, my girl crib. Like- <laughs> <laughs>
4: It's just yeah, I that's, yeah. That's a great question. And honestly, I wish I had, had a better answer for you. Besides the fact that mental health right now is still coming up. Right? Mm-hmm. Because it's just becoming more popular in the last what 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe yeah. so. So it's still it's gonna take a lot more for people in power, you know, the old white people in power to really recognize mental health as an actual legit thing that people need to be certified in. Or we just Crisis, to die right. off? And, and it gets into like a <laughs> sort of thing, you know. But it, it's just—it needs to be recognized. It needs to become more aware for mm-hmm. everyone, and it is going to take time before it gets there. What got you yeah. in the field? In psychology, yeah. So. Um, as, as Justin mentioned, I'm a first year medical student, well, a rising second year medical student, right? And very similar to jazz. I love like human behavior, the human mind and how people think and how people behave. And that's really where I started off in college, becoming like a psych degree, getting a psych degree. And I, after I took my first chem course in college, my first semester of undergrad is when I realized I love science. I love really? under- not just the mind, but the body and how it works and actually what happens at you know, the chemical level, biochemical level, and how that relates to human behavior. And it was one of those things that really, really, that was really, very difficult, but it also challenged, challenged me at a higher level. Like it made me study a lot harder, made me think a lot more critically. And that's pretty much led me down this path. And as I learned more about psychiatry, which is really what I want to go for, the medicine of the mind and the body and how that interplays. Within psychology, that's really what led me towards being a physician and where I am today.
0: And you have a focus on, on uh, when it comes to fitness, because um, that was kind of my introduction to you, and obviously um, uh, Jude and I know Rick through uh, martial arts training as well. So we met you in that fitness, that physical fitness context. And your uh, your specialty, as I understand it, is with senior citizens. Does that also carry with psychology or are you a general, uh, are you looking at a general psychiatric practice when it comes to like age range?
4: So I actually really want to work with adolescents in the future. That's like my, mm-hmm. oh. like, I love the age between like 12 to 18. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm it's a lot more fun to talk to those kind of kids in that age, <laughs> it a lot more difficult. And I like challenges as you guys may be able to see, but I, I would definitely love to work with the entire population. Um, in terms of working with like the geriatric population that sort of came about, just landed in my lap as a certification that my, that the gym I was working at at the time was paying for. So I was like, you know, why not? And it became a lot like a nice focus, where I can get more education on dealing with different people and different mm-hmm. and different you know strength training um courses coursework though so, so that's how that came about and as in terms of the psychology of dealing with people who are older it's very it's, it has to be there it's like the number one thing because people need to be happy first and foremost. But so people mm-hmm. aren't how are you gonna get them to be happy with their workouts? How are you gonna get them to be in shape and happy with their lives if they're not, you know, happy in the head and with themselves?
0: Mm. Yeah, uh, that is important. Um, A question just occurred to me to ask to just now, we've done all the individual things so we can really turn this into a a group chat. Um, But so whoever wants to tackle this first, all of you deal with um, stigmatized groups or you will be dealing with that in the future. What are some of the stigmas that you are most um call it offended by or that you think are the most ignorant or the most uninformed about the the work that you do um and the and the people that you interact with? Whoever wants to take that first.
4: So I want I would take that. So before I actually started med school, I was I worked in, in New York NYU Bellevue in the mm-hmm. unit for like adolescence.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And a lot of people thought I was working with crazy kids mm. and that's one of the biggest like pet peeves when people call people who have mental health disorders crazy because it's, it's become sort of the norm that, oh, if you're, not, if you're in a psych ward, you're crazy. And that's really not, the case. it's just people going through different issues that sort of exacerbated and became a problem where you need to be in an institution to get help or rather you were forced into the institution by your parents for whatever reason, right. that becomes a whole other issue. So that's like one of my biggest pet peeves and stigmas is where people think it's just crazy people that need it. And then an example of that where that's not the case is like with therapy, Mm
5: -hmm.
4: everybody can get therapy. It's not just for those who are crazy, you know?
0: Yeah. And crazy is sort of a a reductive word too, right? Because it doesn't even really mean anything medically per se. You -hmm. know, people could say like, you're crazy because like, you know, um, it's just like a, it's a reaction, you know, it, it doesn't even actually have uh, a basis. So, you know, it's a, definitely an umbrella term that is, that um, uh, doesn't really help meaningful conversations. So yeah, I definitely get that. And especially when it comes to adolescence too, that's such a formative time. So like to, I think, and maybe, you know, Selena, you deal with this too, that whole notion of a, of a problem child or or anything like that. Like, is that even, is there truth to that? or there are there youth who are predisposed to being, you know, difficult?
2: Well, I had a lot of behavioral students in my classroom this year, and mm. they're only five and six years old. And so I've never experienced children who are, like, really – like, when they get upset, they throw tantrums, they flip tables and chairs, and, you know, they're stronger than than I am when they're upset. And so mm. – but it all comes from – somewhere, right? And mm-hmm. it's just really being able to communicate with the child and be like, okay, but what's causing this? You know, it's not just like, oh he reacts this way or she reacts this way. It's trying to see, okay, but what makes the child what triggers the child and just really being able to communicate communicate with the child and see, you know, what are you what are you going through and how do you feel? Because it it comes from, you know, what they're dealing with at home or what they're seeing at home. And so it's really being able to to sit with the child and provide the child the time to really listen to them and um, understand them and let them know that, you know, they're not alone and that even though I'm not their mom, that, you know, because a lot of times when I speak to the children, they don't really care for what I say because I'm not their parent. And so Mm -hmm. it's really also speaking to the parents and telling the parents, you know, what you say really means a lot to your children. They really listen because... You know, they come back to school and they say, oh, but my, well, my mom doesn't care. My mom thinks I'm dumb or whatever. And I'm like, but you're not. And so it's also educating the parents to, like, to say, like, your words, you know, you have to choose them carefully because your child, like, takes in those words. And if you call your child dumb and stupid, then they're going to think they're dumb and stupid and come to school, like, I don't need to learn, you know? And so it's like, no, you can't learn and you're smart and you don't, you don't have to, you know, just not... um. I, I love my
5: thought. But like,
0: it's just really no,
2: okay. using um, the words wisely with kids.
0: Yeah. So would you loop that then into, because I didn't mean to steamroll the, the question I asked earlier. Would you loop that into um, one of your pet peeves or the stigmas that you dislike is, is just that sort of um, people, whether it be the students' own families or obviously strangers, reducing their intelligence and their, and their value like that?
2: Yeah, for sure. And also I like, just, saying that, you know, my like students with learning disabilities, they can't learn. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, these kids can learn, and it's just mm-hmm. like they can't learn, but it just takes, yeah, to break
3: things down for them a lot more, but, you know, they can learn.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jazz?
3: Uh, no, I agree with um the last two things that were said. Uh Definitely like, she when hit y'all y- with
0: that. <laughs> wait, wait. You hit you hit that when you in college and you start to doze off and you're like, oh yeah, word.
5: Piggyback, <laughs> right?
3: Um, no, but for real. Um, like one of the last courses that I took this semester was um, developmental psychopathology, and so mm. that talks about like kids that develop um, disorders or some kind of mental disorder, such as like OCD um or you know kids that have autism obviously that's not like you know you're born with that but um like it discusses the origins of where things come from like especially kids with OCD um a lot of it is triggered by a specific like event um or a series of the events um which change their like actual molecular like nature and um with a cope like with a stressful life event and together that made them form some kind of like mental disorder and so i think that's interesting. What, yeah what really annoys me um is when people don't look at like psychology or science of the mind as like oh like oh it's like not a hard science so it's not that much of a big of a deal like it's kind of a second thing when i feel like you can't have one without the other like you can't talk about whole like wellness of the body without talking about wellness of the mind and vice versa um i really take a like a holistic approach to it so that Mm -hmm. really um bothers me when people look at like when you're in a like when you have like a problem child for say a quote unquote that people don't take the time to go back to the origin of well why did this kid become like this like if you would, actually, if most people took the time to actually go back a little bit, you would see that there's some issues or something that happened that caused them to be this way. And it's not like, oh, they're just bad kids. So that and also just like looking at psychology like it's just a kind of a second science is one of my pet peeves.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. second science. I never heard that idea of a term that psychology is a second science. Can you explain more of that? Yeah.
3: So, like, the hard sciences are usually considered, like, you know, biochem, um, like, stuff like physics, stuff like that, and then, so, a lot of schools, um, psychology goes under, like, a bachelor's of arts instead of a bachelor's of science, which my school, like, I have a BA in psych, um, but it's really weird because, especially um, as time goes on, you have to learn, like, a lot of, they have to take a lot of the same courses that you have to take as the other, like, hard sciences in psych, so, like, Um, For example, in my anatomy class, um, so all the psych um, kids were like, we had to take anatomy and physiology. And one of the the professors said one time, he was like, you know, you psych students, you know, um, get stuck in the mind so much that you guys are not thinking about the rest of the body, like the actual organ. And I was Mm -hmm. like, sir, we're like, we can't pass without this class. Like, this is an actual requirement. So Mm -hmm. I don't even know what you mean. Like, we're here with all the other bio and chem and everybody else students. So that doesn't actually make sense um <laughs> and yeah, also so, you have to yeah.
1: prescribe drugs like you do have to think about the body the kidneys whatever oh yeah, right, yeah. The drugs Depend- will them, because you're giving them these people drugs
3: right yeah depending on what like kind of psychology you are uh, being or like psychiatrists um you they prescribe drugs but you have to think like when you're counseling someone for example like if you become mm-hmm. a counselor you can't just think about oh the let me look at the events the by themselves, like individual events. You have to also think about the body's reaction to those type of events and how you can counsel them through that way. Like someone that has a like a kid that has a chronic illness or whatever, right? That chronic illness also affects them emotionally and mentally. So you yeah. have to when you're trying to figure out what kind of headspace they're in, you have to think about the pain that that's causing them. And so mm. to understand the pain that they're in, you have to understand the biological, you know, basis. Right. Of uh,
0: and, and so I actually think that this is a nice opportunity um, between you and Rick potentially to talk, kind of clear up some of the, um, the misconceptions and conflations in psychology. Cause like for myself, it has taken me a long time and I still don't know all of the different types of psychology um, and like the difference between being a psychologist and a psychiatrist or uh, a psychological therapist or, you know, all those different things. So what are some of the differences and what makes them different? Oh, someone's in trouble. Y'all hear that siren? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, be. That, yeah, I knew it. It ain't me. But, uh, but yeah, which, um, whichever one of you wants to go.
3: You
4: go ahead. I can go. So, all right. So, psychiatrist is what you go for to medical school for, where you still have a focus, somewhat lesser focus in psychology, but you're really focusing on like neuropathology and like all the things that are going on wrong in the brain, and what you can prescribe medically to help assist with that. And mm-hmm. um, when you go deeper, I'm not there yet. But when you get deeper into the specialization of training for psychology, I mean for psychiatry, excuse me, then you get a little more focus in like therapeutic measures, but it's not, Hence, mm-hmm, yeah. you just focus specifically on psychology, which is where you can either do like a, just a bachelor's a master's or a PhD in it. Ooh. And, and then psychology that, and it can branch off into many different things. Right. So you can be a school psychologist. You can be a clinical psychologist, where in some States, clinical psychologists can also prescribe meds. I don't think that's the case in New York, but in some States around the country, you can, yeah. um, there's just different a lot of different branches. You could just do pure psychological research for okay. with a do of PhD in psychology. Right. So it's gonna depend on what your focus is and whether or not you want to be able to prescribe meds on top of like talk therapy, or if you just want to do talk therapy and like mainly focus in research. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like just between like psychology and psychiatry.
0: Gotcha. Anything to add to that, Jazz? Was uh, was that got astute? Yeah.
5: <laughs> <Perfect>.
0: <laughs> got you. And, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of levels of training that you will have to go through for this. Selena, you just got your master's degree, um, uh, you know, at 24 years old, we can definitely clap it up for that. Um, so, I mean, what is up with that? No, like, how was how that, um, how was that journey for you? I mean, like, because obviously you could still be a teacher without a master's degree, right? Or can you? I don't.
2: No, you actually have. Oh, you can't you
0: need that. You oh, have five okay. years.
2: Real. You have five. So
4: not years
0: obviously to
2: master's degree. Say that again. You have five years to get your master's degree once you get your bachelor's.
0: Got you. Okay.
2: Sorry.
4: To be a teacher. Yeah, well, yeah. you could
2: be a teacher with your bachelor's, but once you graduate, you have they give you a five year period to get your master's degree.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, and after 5 years then, you know about all the, the teachers
4: I had in high school that didn't have a masters like <laughs> I'm just about it. it's interesting. Like, yeah. wow. But I
2: think high school is like is different. Like I know public schools like that's like that's a rule but for like Catholic schools or like private schools it's different. Like those teachers wow, like- they, don't really, they don't need certifications <laughs> to be teachers. Yeah. So it's different. Like for a public school you need to have the certification to teach. So, oh, okay. for like, for example, I have, like, state certifications that I can teach in public schools. Like, I could teach bilingual or, like, kids from kindergarten up to sixth grade. You need mm-hmm. a certification to teach, like, all the different grades.
0: Do you think you'll ever move up in age, or are you good where you're at?
2: Um, I, like, eventually want to teach, like, high school students, like, Spanish. Um, mm. But I also want to teach, like, a college course, um, maybe, in, in education. But in two years, I want to get tenured before, like, Ranch and start exploring. You want
0: that tenure? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. yeah. I can't get rid of me. Um, yeah. yeah, I. that's how I always understood tenure in high school, was, like, whenever there was a, a, a teacher we didn't like, we were trying to figure out whether or not we could get them fired. <laughs> they were always tenured. All of them were tenured. I don't understand. Yeah. Um, but... I'm interested because I'll speak personally. Like I've thought about in the later stages of my career, potentially um, becoming a professor of some sort uh, at a university, but you, when you're an adjunct, thank you. Um, when you're an adjunct, you don't need like, how much certification do you need to just walk into a college, you know, lecture hall and be like acting one hundred one or whatever it is.
2: I think you need your master's degree. I think. I don't think you need like an education um, degree. I just think you need to have like a master's degree in the subject that you want to teach. I believe. I'm not 100% sure. I still have to do my research. That would yeah, make sense. So. Okay.
4: You also yeah, need, sure. you can also get like another side. I talked to this with a professor of mine before when I was considering career paths. And you can also teach by expertise. Mm. So if, mm. say, five years in, on Wall Street, even though you have an education right. degree, because you have the expertise, you can also teach your, like, you know, I guess clinical profession.
0: Yeah, that's what I, that, that's, that makes sense, because I think that there are definitely a lot of, um, once you get to college, that's kind of the thing. They're trying to bridge the gap between um, the professional world and the educational world. So they're bringing in people who, like, are, you know, uh, they work down the street and they're here on their lunch break to, to, to talk about um, uh, applied whatever. Um, Yo, real quick.
1: Um, yeah, go day, ahead. Um, I was wondering about what medical school medical school is going to be looking like past COVID because you need technical hands on work and training to be a doctor. I'm 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 not sure for psychi- psychiatry because you will not be you know stitching people up or anything or mm-hmm. will be, depending on um, w- what happens in in your room. But what's that going to look like for medical students in the future? <laughs> you know, because you want to keep everyone separate and keep everyone healthy, but you have to have those that that technical training for those situations if they are to happen.
4: Yeah, man, it's it's looking rough. Like, fortunately, so I could give my experience, and then I'll talk about the experience of like my upper class. So for me, I ended COVID came upon the end of my like anatomy cadaver experience. So I got really lucky that I had just finished, you know, dissecting and all that right before COVID came along. And then everything became online. And we were pretty much just learning everything else online. Hmm. But the upper class students, they were who were like I guess the 30 students who were in the middle of their clinical rotations. Mm-hmm. They kind of just had to like stop and do everything remote, which kind of sucks because they were, from what I know when speaking to an advisor briefly about it, what is that they're looking at a way of kind of giving them the same credits mm-hmm. without hands-on research, and I'm not sure where that's going because I don't have much, you know, pull in that department. But right. all I know for now is like the, the class above me, the second year students, who are now becoming third years. They're, they're starting off in July. In July. So yeah, like the the students going into clinical rotations now, this coming summer, they're all doing virtual, like. Long face facial meeting, which is really weird. I don't, I have no idea how that's gonna work because right. you kind of need to, like, you know, physically exam people, so I don't know how that's gonna work.
1: Are they gonna, like, the cadavers
4: to people's houses and be like, All right, this is <laughs> how you do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I guess they're doing something online. I have no idea, it's just gonna be really weird, I and mean, we don't know how long it's gonna go on for, so I don't, I don't have no idea. The new students that are coming in are starting off straight up online. Hold so on. if COVID lasts longer, I have no idea if they're ever going to have a hands-on experience in like right so much- infections or not.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so Jasmine, similarly, like how's that affecting your EMT training? I mean, I know you you sent me a very uh, startling text one morning <laughs> about about the educational video y'all were watching. Um, but is is it is that just what it is now? Like you guys looking at people's um, you know torn scrotums or what's <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's what happened? That was a
3: video? Um, oh, um, we were covering trauma this past week, so there was um a lot of trauma. Um, <laughs>
0: Traumatic right? for you? Yeah.
3: No, I, um, she needed that
0: psychology degree to, to review yeah. herself afterward. No,
3: nah, really, like, weirdly enough, my parents are always, like, talk about it. they don't know where I got it from, but I am so fine with, like, blood, like, blood and guts and gore and everything, like,
5: mm-hmm.
3: like, cutting up humans like,
1: cadaver and stuff Hi, Dexter. is...
3: Dexter. My... <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, my sanctuary. No, um... <laughs> Wait, what was the question?
0: <laughs> the question was how similar to what Rick was saying... Um, the hands-on is training. The- yeah, the lack of hands-on training. Is that affecting your EMT um, progress?
3: Okay, I got excited and got cut off. But, um...
0: Right, <laughs> you went somewhere.
3: Yeah, uh, so, right now, um, we've been doing... The, all the lectures on Zoom. Um, and so that'll go to mid August. So we'll get a break like the week of 4th of July. And then when we're going to go back into labs, because we have to do like our CPR trainings, like do right along on ambulances and stuff. Um, so we're going to, I think it's, they're just going to have to split it up. So we're going to have to pick times or do this split the class like five people at a time mm-hmm. um, and just like do our certifications like that. And so that's three days a week until the end of August. And then um, we take our state exams. So yeah, it's kind of weird. Just like you have to, so this past five weeks has just been like information, information lectures um, with no real hands-on stuff. I've been just like taking blood pressure of my parents, you know, annoying them. But um, (laughs) so then yeah, in July, we'll just do all the hands-on stuff. Then we'll just have to like break up by the class. So we'll see how it goes.
0: Got you, you. Yeah, definitely not easy, Rick. Um, contact tracing. Yeah. What is that about? That's like you're you're dealing. Um, if I understand it correctly, you're you're hands on in a sense with COVID, right? Or or, or you're tracing it directly.
4: Um, yes and no. So, contact tracing is pretty much identifying who has like COVID, mm-hmm. and then trying to see who they've been in touch with, ever within that time period that they had COVID. So it, it's all remote now because, you know, our school wants us to be safe and hospitals want students, whoever is volunteering to do this to be safe. So it's all going to be remote and pretty much either cold calling or
0: just emailing people.
4: I see what you're
0: Got you. You getting money for that? What's, what's, what's that looking like?
4: No, I mean, see, if I was still in New York, I could probably get a job doing that. But in my area, there's no jobs for it. So I'm doing it as a uh, volunteer. Where are you right Where now? Are again? You? I'm in Pennsylvania.
1: Okay. Why, Why you home? I thought you were in the hood. What's up,
4: <laughs> dude? I, I, I go to school here. I have my own place. It's nice. Oh what? I'm uh, a big
1: baller. I see you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I just it home back to the BX. <laughs> nah, man. I come back and forth though between New York and here.
0: Got you. you. Um, for just for further sort of like anecdotal context. As much of, um, you can share as much as you actually know about this, Rick. But um, Angie, our friend and your lady, uh, works in works in a hospital. Um, actually, have you heard any firsthand accounts from her about like um, the environment in hospitals right now?
4: Um, yeah. So she she's pretty much just started on like a clinical research on COVID patients where she's mm-hmm. dealing with them hands-on. And it's it just, you know, it's crazy. It's New York. It's the ER. So she's just going in and out of trying to meet people. Wait, she's in that? Yeah. Oh, shit. It's a yeah, nice gig. Oh, it's not nice. Here, so she's doing, she's doing that. And <laughs> yeah, probably right. In terms of how it's been in the ER, I'm not sure if she hasn't spoken on that. But I'm mm-hmm. sure it's just like any other ER, if you remember going, kind of sucks.
0: Oh, my yeah. God. And I mean, even, even the, because uh, Angie was another guest that we wanted to get on this show, but the fact that she couldn't make it is a testament to how uh, crazy, you know, uh, things are right now. Um, So, Jude, was there anything you were about to, I didn't know if you were about to say something.
1: No, I was about to come out about Mount Mount Sinai's atrocious ER. Mm. (laughs) You know, my mother was in the ER several times. You know, at was Mount sick, i while she was sick, and it's so tiny, and the beds are so close together. And during COVID, that's a tro- that's scary. You know, it, they're barely even six feet apart, and it's packed. And those um, doctors and nurses are overworked and have too many um, patients on their on their schedule. It's a really packed out place. And then when you go into the rest of the hospital is just this big ass like grand hall or some shit. It looks like a, some some wild movie theater shit, mm-hmm. and it was just really disappointing to see. And my aunt who works at um, Sloan Kettering is just like, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: like, like you're Nepal. walking through a a high school gymnasium. Yo, She had no problem with the actual
1: physicians in Mount Sinai, but the establishment of Mount Sinai itself has always Mm -hmm. been a little seedy. My mom also did grants and research at Beth Israel Medical Center. Mount Sinai took them over, and there's just a bunch of weird beef within Mount Sinai because it's a a really wild place from what I heard Mm -hmm. from my mother when she was working there, when she was a patient there, and my aunt being... Uh, a hospitalist just viewing her colleagues and how overworked they are in the
5: ER
0: yeah I hear that Um, starting with Selena on this one challenges right along the road to where you are and in the place that you are right now even before COVID was there any point Selena where um, you were kind of you, you came face to face with like something really, I know you said you like a challenge, but like you came face to face with something really difficult, almost insurmountable. And you felt like maybe I'm going to switch careers or maybe I can't do this the way I thought I could. Um, what was that like if it happened? Um, and how did you overcome that?
2: Um, so since I'm teaching kindergarten and first grade, they're so tiny and, you know, they want to get up all the time. Like that's just naturally what Mm -hmm. you want to do. And so my kids, um, for the first, like, three months, I felt like I wanted to quit, like, every day. Because Mm -hmm. I couldn't get them to focus at all for more than two seconds. But that was just one child, and I had 12 kids. And so I had had one child's focus for two seconds, and then five of them were, like, not focused. So I was just trying to get them to all focus at the same time for at least two minutes to just listen to me, you know, teach Mm -hmm. one thing. And so, it was a struggle just trying to get them to sit and to look at me and focus. Because a lot of them, they don't pro, like they don't give me eye contact. They struggle mm-hmm. with eye contact. And so, I have to constantly like, refocus them to look at me. And um, so, it was just really hard to just even get them to sit in a meeting area and to focus or have a conversation with me. And so, yeah. what I had to do, luckily, I have a teacher assistant in my classroom.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, we had to split up the class into two groups. And work like that, work in small groups. At a a time, I was teaching math with, like, a student at a time. So I had students, like, working with, like, hands-on activities while I was teaching the lesson to one student. Although it took much longer, um, at least I was able to work with them for 20 minutes and then get them to, you know, add. And so I did it. I did rotations. So I would be, like, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes with one student. And then it was, like, next. And then next. And then next.
1: How many kids are in a class?
2: Well, in my self-contained class, I
0: could have up to twelve students. Okay. Mm-hmm. She- yeah. Yeah, which which probably feels like a lot. It does. Was, was there anything in your um, in your own formative education, going back to elementary school and stuff? Do you think there was anything like that informed you how you like now looking back that informed how you teach? You know, either either because you had a teacher that was so terrible, you were like, "I'm never going to do anything that they do," um, or because there was someone that was really inspiring to you that you kind of pulled from.
2: Well, I had this first grade teacher that I still keep in contact with. Um, I actually didn't like school when I was younger until so I went into first grade. And she um, you did. <laughs> and she, um, like she was really tough with me, and she was like, you "No, know, like, because um, I used to say like my stomach used to hurt all the time, so I wouldn't go to school." And so then she overheard a conversation I was having with my mom, and she was like, "Selena, no, you're fine. Like, just go into the classroom." First of
0: all, there. I know Alejandro wasn't having that anyway. I'm sure she <laughs> sent you behind to school regardless. <laughs>
2: yeah, she did. I would just, go, I would just go cry to school. Like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Right. But um, she was really tough. And but I just saw how like she formed uh, relationships with the students and the families. Like it was just like a small little community between like all of us. And um, mm. I was in bilingual classes when I was younger and so she mm-hmm. was my first really bilingual teacher and so I learned a lot from her and you know she, she actually inspired me like to want to be a teacher too and so I try to take a lot from what I learned just sitting in her classroom and applying to my teaching
0: that's beautiful mm-hmm. um Rick you have any had any obstacles um along the way to your or you do or do you have you had or do you perceive any um on the road to your uh, your career, every day,
4: man. <laughs> every day.
0: Uh, I thought
4: I knew how to study, and so I got into, and so I started studying for just the amount of information that they crammed into us in such a short amount of time, and then dealing with that on top of they like to advertise that oh we have twenty minorities this year, but really it's more like an actual like handful of us that are actually you know minorities. Of color, you know, that self identify mm-hmm. and seeing that with the whole, you know, all these people have this, this, and that, and trying not to get yourself stuck in that mindset of me versus them and trying to remember that we're all in the same place and trying to do the same thing and we're all struggling, and, albeit like different ways, but for the same goal.
5: Yeah.
4: trying to keep that on locks while trying to do good in school and you know, trying to survive is it's just tough every day. It's just a new experience and it's hard. It's like probably the hardest thing academically I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. And just, that was just like a big
0: struggle. I'm glad you brought up. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was worried about whether or not I should do it. Cause like it comes up in every episode, but we're black and we talk about black things cause we're black. So um, you, you mentioned, right. <laughs> um, you, <laughs> you mentioned that, uh, the, the, the disparity in representation in your, in your field. And I think that like, when we talk about obstacles to uh, going back to that stigma, you know, that point about stigma, when we talk about obstacles to mental health progress and all that. A lot of it is within our own communities too. Um, there's been this socialization kind of to internalize things among um, people of color because, there's already so much stacked against us that we can't afford to look crazy. I'm holding up quotes. I would say that psycho that the that the the mental aspect of, of black American life I mean there's been arguments made for like this generational trauma in a sense yeah. that like we have all these years and decades of repression and everything that we're just passing on to the next you know we're passing on to our children because of how we raise them so w- would you say that like, that is a field that needs to be just as um, infiltrated as physical medicine?
4: Are you speaking to me or everybody? You or Jasmine. Okay. Um, hundred percent, yes. Mm -hmm. I think now that I'm I'm, I'm getting to, I guess, you know, the upper echelon of like academics, I feel it all starts with you. And at the end of the day, as a minority, you really can't, Complain when you're in the same spot as everyone else, mm. even though it, there's a lot of there's a lot of things stacked against us. It really does suck, but at the end of the day, we gotta like suck it up and continue progressing forward. Mm. Because we can complain all we want, but and while you know while it's important you know to protest and fight for those active changes, but when you're in it in the in the profession that have like you know low percentage of minorities in power. And you're actually there trying to be one of those minorities in power. You got to remember that you have the same access to resources that your colleagues do, even though it may not feel that way. And you have to really learn how to like navigate the system. I definitely agree follow. with that. Yeah, you really got to learn I- how to navigate and use the system for yourself.
1: And real quick, how does your families for all of you been supporting you in your choice of your professions? Because oh yeah, Rick, I mean, I don't know about your parents. I mean, it sounds like. Obviously, you're a great dude, and I'm, I know your parents are probably freaking amazing. I mean, dude, you got a fucking bunny, but <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: but like, I'm sure in like maybe your cousins in you know your family, they might be like psychiatry. What you doing this for? Or anyone in black and brown households, there are still some people who are just like, "What you going to do with that? Make money with that?" Mm-hmm. You know, have you seen any of that within your families? Any of you
5: guys?
3: Um, uh, I mean, just to, just like to backtrack is, uh, for a second to the last question, um, that is in terms of, like, the space that I'm in, being a, a woman of color and being the only person of color in my EMT course right now, oh, so um, good. I've definitely thought about, like, especially in the climate that we're in, because EMTs have to work really closely with, like, PD and, um, FD and everything, so thinking about, like, the people I'll be around and, like, the person that I am, like, how that'll be, like, is it gonna be awkward? Like, is it gonna be weird? Like, I don't know how I'm gonna be perceived. Um, and also always checking how I perceive other people, because, like, even if people perceive me a certain way, I'm not gonna become them. But, um, like, It's weird because where everybody is on a, like, you know, it's, it's been rough, like, with the cops recently, especially, obviously, so, like, having to work super close with them is, like, oh, how, how I'm gonna feel, you know, I can't say for sure that in every case I'm gonna be, like, you know, like, ooh, yay, police like, um, so that's gonna be, you know, it'll be something that I have to take on as I get there, and not that I'm anticipating, like, disliking anyone or, um, being you know not working together but it'll be definitely working in a predominantly white area that would be something that i'll probably have to like come across and navigate um but like rick was saying that you know when you get yourself into those kind of spaces from there it's like my idea has always been like infiltrate so that you can change so like yeah we can there's a lot that we can talk about and there's a lot that needs to be fixed and there's a lot that we can complain about um But at the same time, we have to make sure that we're working to get into the spaces that we want to see change so that we can just change it ourselves instead of waiting for other people to do it. Um, Yeah,
0: just before I let you answer um, Jude's question, Jazz, I I think that's really important. I always think about, I encounter that all the time in, in school. I'm still in school. I have about three more semesters. And you will, like, without fail, you know, a lot of the classes I take we make a group chat or whatever and people are are, are complaining about the professor or complaining about the course uh, the course and the workload and everything and mm-hmm. and it's like but have you communicated this to the professor or are you taking the steps to ensure that like if you really think something is unfair that that's being like logged i was in an anthropology class an intro to anthropology course and there was a kid in that class who without fail every single day came into that class and opened his laptop and sat on Twitter for the whole thing. The class meets twice a week. And then you want to turn around and be like, the class is hard. I don't understand why. It's like, dude, well, you have to put in some effort, you know? So yeah. I definitely think that that is, um, and it's not, you know, not to call anybody lazy or anything. Um, and I think obviously okay. you guys are dealing with, <laughs> are people, yeah. well, yes, in academic spaces, for sure, there is entitlement and there's, you know, and I, and I think it does come from, a sense of privilege. Was this a white kid? Just wondering. It was. <laughs> I didn't. My- <laughs> I was trying to leave it a privilege, but yeah, no. I, I, I this Pace University is the third um, college I've been in, Right. So at this point, I'm like, let me just do what I have to do. I'm. It got to a point where I was like, if I'm, if I'm here, and, I, and the college in general is a place where it's like, if you get to choose what classes you take and what you study, there's no real reason you should be failing. For real, right? And i like, there are some, ele- there are some things that you have to take that are requirements. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to, I had to muscle through this last math course. I got a C and I'm done. I don't have to look at a number ever again. It felt good, right? Right. It felt amazing. Um, but I'm, I'm here. I'm at this predominantly white institution. Mm. It's astronomically priced, you know, um, I can't, I literally cannot afford to not get the most out of this experience, you know? And I think like that is probably a mindset that is very endemic to uh, people of color, that it's like, that's one thing that I think is instilled in us, you know, that whole twice as good for half as much thing that we just have to, we have to go after everything because it's not going to be given to us. So it is very, very annoying. I I definitely (laughs) empathize with you guys to be in spaces, especially with people who Like, Rick, if you're, you're, you know, you're at the office and you hear people complaining and they're not even of color and they're talking about like, oh, this place sucks and like, I can't do this and that and the third. And it's like, you you know, I can imagine that there's there's a lot of annoyance that builds up. Um, And especially when then you go back to education um, uh, when you're, you know, because Selena where is your where is your school actually located? Is it in East Harlem? It's in the
2: Bronx. I work in the
0: Bronx. It's in the Bronx. So then even even further, it's like. Um, you have to deal with a lot of compounded issues. <clears throat> and, you know, you can't... Um, it's it's just, yeah, it's it's disingenuous to, like, get into spaces like these. And then, you know... And we're all human. We're all going to feel like we're all going to have our good days and bad days. But it's disingenuous, I think, to act like you don't have the ability to affect some sort of change. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just, sorry, that was a rant I went on. (laughs) Jasmine, (laughs) how's how's your family been um, with this whole process?
3: Um, They've been, my family's always been, like, very supportive of what I choose to do, which is um, definitely a blessing, because I know not everybody has that kind of support system. Um, I've always appreciated about my parents is that they have always, like, pushed me super hard, which is one of the big reasons why I think I'm able to, um, accomplish as much as I'm, I've, I have, um, but also, like, they've allowed me my space to just, like, feel, and, like, sometimes I'm much harder on myself than anybody else's, um, I am mm. my biggest critic, like, most definitely, um, so, you know, that's something I gotta work on, but, um, they've, yeah, they've been supportive, and, Definitely, you know, I know some of, you know, my family is like, you know, you know, I got your psychology degree. So, like, you know, what are you going to do with it kind of thing? Um, and, you know, I'm trying to figure that out. Like, you know, and probably going to go and get, like, my doctorates, um, get, like, a PsyD, which is, like, a master's nice. and a doctorate. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I've had mainly support, I would have to say, yeah.
0: Lovely. Got you. Selena?
2: Um. Well, my mom, I mean, you know guys know my mom, She, she's 100% like supportive, and um, she's been there since I was little, and, and she's always, she's like, education is important, and so she has instilled that in me, and so I, I didn't complain when I was in school, I just knew I had to do well in my classes and do my work, mm-hmm. and so that's what I did, I just, I went to my classes and I did my work, and so here I am. Period.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I You have such a, um, it is what it is attitude. I really, I really appreciate that. Like, I think that's something that you start to, de- you probably start to develop, you know, working in fields that require so much patience. You, you, you don't have time to be like, what was me, especially when it's not about you, you know? Um, and it's like, as difficult a time as I'm having teaching these kids, you know, their parents are having a more difficult time or the kids themselves are probably have, they're It's not like they don't know, you know, that they have a learning disability, whether or not they can articulate it at that age is, you know, another story, but they, they are, are constantly probably being compared to um, other people. And, and you, you also look at, you know, especially going back to the, the conversation of, uh, of stigmas and psychology, you have to look about, you have to look at, excuse me, media, Right always, always media plays a role in everything. And what you mm-hmm. see is, 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 you know, what you, um, learn and Yeah. I mean, like since the beginning of, of film, for example, I'm a film major for those of y'all who don't know, um, obviously mental illness or like psychopathy, sociopathy, all these things have been heavily vilified in media and obviously you have like real life cases. It's not like you know Ted Bundy was a misunderstood you know um, whatever, or I think it was crazy. Like, right these people are <laughs> – he's, he's crazy no, um, um, but you, these people obviously are maladjusted human beings, and that's to do with both nature and nurture, most yeah. likely, but not everybody who's like, I have a very dear friend of mine who it has diagnosed borderline personality disorder. Mm. And that's a thing that like, you see that in, in, in movies or TV shows. It's like, Oh, like it's, she's right. like manipulative. She's yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like she'll, she'll switch on a dime. Like it's crazy. Um, she's not like that. You know, she obviously she has to take medication. She has to go to therapy, whatever she has to, Um, monitor it but she's not just like a person waiting for the violin string to pop you know and I think that especially when you're when you're dealing with early education it's not like there are a bunch of kid shows that depict characters with learning disabilities or anything like that so it's like how do you even begin to that's a super tough um, conversation I think to have is, like, I'm looking at, you know, Disney Channel, and none of these kids are like me, you know? Not even just from a color standpoint, but from, like, a cognitive, you know, just social standpoint. And, um, you know, it's... it's. I
3: think Sesame Street, they introduced, like, a think an autistic character last season. Oh, did they? Yeah. And I think a couple of you know, seasons Street ago... Yeah.
1: Okay. I think a couple of seasons ago, they also did something about um uh there, there was a a Sesame Street character whose parents were addicts. And I'm like, what?
0: Oh, it was really? wild. Yeah. Like, oh, man. wow. It was <laughs> yeah. it was Sesame Street has always been kind of doing, like, they, they push the yeah. envelope. They definitely have always been like, yeah, but what about this? So... Yeah. And it <laughs> it was
1: just, a town hall about racism, I think a week or two ago, after all mm-hmm. the protesting was going on, you know, they got Big Bird and
0: all of them. I didn't
1: watch it. And Elmo has a
0: late show now. On oh, HBO. Well,
1: is, how is that? Did
0: you watch it? So lit. I haven't watched it, no. But I feel like I have to now. I might have to be uh,
1: Elmo. that's when I He it. made an
0: appearance on Stephen Colbert, and I was like, "What?" So, um, here we are. This is 2020. Can you imagine explaining that to someone even in like 2016, bro? <laughs> in four years, Elmo the Muppet, he's gonna have his own Late Show. Um, <laughs>
1: why? But like, you you put kids to sleep at seven o'clock. Is that late? Like.
0: Right. I feel like Elmo's cussing on that program. I, I, that's got to be it, right? Because why? why else would it be that late? There was one more question I had for the psychologists on the call. Um, through your kind of just journeys individually as people, and um, obviously now that you're educated, what are some of the – I feel like every generation has its common um, mental illnesses or mental um, – diagnoses maybe you know uh uh, what would you say are some of the most common that you've encountered um you know or that you see uh in in our generation between millennials and gen z because some of us we i think we all fall in that like weird range between like 96 to 99 where no one knows where so how do you how do you guys um see what do you see as our major challenges as a generation I think
4: one thing that I noticed is a lot of I guess people in our age range and younger, we question a lot and a lot and a lot, which is good. but we fail to kind of listen mm. more question. Yeah. and I feel like a lot of um, I guess like from firsthand experience, like generational like my parents were immigrants, right? So the kids of my generation are pretty much trying to do better. And we do better by not doing what our parents did. Mm-hmm. And by not listening, you can't always listen to everything they say, because sometimes they just say things, you know, it's passed down by tradition. It's not really, really sound evidence, you know? Right. But you still got to take things into account and understand where they're coming from in their perspective, right? But I find that a lot of times it's very easy to get lost to the sight side of that and to kind of get a little arrogant or more of an ego than you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. You think you may know more now that you're educated yeah right and you sort of become i guess you sort of alienate yourself from people and i feel like that's always detrimental in terms of just generational like what's relationships yeah, yeah Relationships. there you go yeah. and i feel like it's very easy to kind of lose sight of you know your family and what's going on and how to actually build your family and build generational wealth versus
0: i did this i'm better than you you need to listen to me now rick dropping bombs on this episode bro he's coming into your home no i think that's so that's so important man i think that like it's it's that it's that uh back and forth between intelligence and wisdom right and like you know we've all we've all grown up here and respect your elders i feel like i mean i'll speak for myself i got to a point where i was like why i gotta what i definitely can spell more words than you bro like (laughs) i was like you know even if like even like third grade, I was like, I, de- I don't have to listen to any of y'all like, you know, but so I think that I, I, I can imagine that our generation, which really experienced that surge of globalism too, oh, where yeah. like we're getting information from everywhere at the same time. I mean, for yeah. all of us here, there was still a, a buffer before like, um, you know, before like the iPhone came out, right? But by the time my sister was born, she was born in 03, you could hold the internet in your hand. So, like, okay, you might be more informed about, let's say, child psychology. Let's say, like, even even me, I'm not a psychologist, but even me who who wants to be a father, I might have more um, understanding of how that works, but does that mean that I've raised a child before?
1: Hell no. No.
0: It <laughs> doesn't mean that I've raised a 14-, 15-, 16-year-old girl or whatever. I'm still going to, I. and luckily, I have a good enough relationship with my parents that it, it doesn't feel... Um, wrong to rely on them for that advice um, or anything like that. So I think that's super well put, Rick, that like um, education is good, but it doesn't negate experience
3: Yeah.
0: um, all the time. Uh, Jazz, you want to go next as far as the diagnosis?
3: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I was actually having a conversation with my brother the other day about, I feel like one of the worst things that people can do is Learn something and then condemn other people for not knowing what they just learned. So, yes, it's it drives me crazy, and it's on the internet like all the time, like especially right now with the whole like you know, everybody's trying to get information that may not have had um been as affluent before, and um, you know, like the whole Black Lives Matter and everything. And then at the Mm -hmm. same time, you see people that's like, Well, how y'all didn't know this? Like, y'all just waking up, and I'm like, All right, but isn't it? shouldn't we just be proud of the fact that they woke up at all? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. and, like, why would you, like, put people down for trying to act, like, actually and actively learn something? So that irritates me. Um, so I think that is definitely something that we need to work on as a generation. Um, and also, like, my senior project I had to do to, um, you know, get out of school, when well, it talks about the emotional influences of Instagram on, like, self-esteem and mood. Um, right. And so I've spent, like, a lot of time just, like, studying social media and Instagram in the past year and how it affects um, people's, like, instant mood and um, emotions, like, directly after viewing certain content um, and how I think that eventually after constant rumination of seeing those kind of things, um affects behavior and so i think there's i think there probably not too many years there'll probably be some kind of diagnosis or like disorder that would be categorized mm. as like internet you know disorder something like you know what i mean like yeah. something that going to the internet is going to affect our minds in just the way that we constantly consume it and the things that we're consuming it um consuming um also just in time of uh, like diagnoses that I think that we struggle with as a generation, it's definitely, um, there's a giant spike in depression. Um, yes. like really, really big. Um, and every generation has like, you know, their issues and like have like kind of like a depressive state, but I feel like most people, and I, I don't know a lot of people that haven't that can say that they haven't been depressed before or like had suicidal thoughts before. And I think that's really it's sad and it's something that, that needs to be um looked at a whole lot more like why why are everybody so like suicidal why is everybody so depressed and also you know. I think yeah like um is you know and we take that I think that we take a lot of our trauma I heard um Dr. Matthew Stevenson said like a couple weeks ago on one of his lives that our generation has a um a way of like turning trauma into like um like, comedy, so that we can cope with yes. it, and yeah. that's, like, absolute, and I was, like, yo, that's so true, like, I always think about that, like, on TikTok, like, a lot of those skits and things you see is, like, really traumatic stuff, but we just make it funny, and everybody's, yeah. like, oh, word, mood, and everything, and, like, you, when you think about it, you're, like, oh, yeah, word, mood, but then when you think about it, you're, like, that's not good, like, that's no. not good <laughs> coping behavior, that's not, um like, okay, and so I think that a lot of people look at our generation as like, "Oh, you know, they're so depressed and they're so you know they're always complaining and struggling, and you know this mental health stuff you know back in my generation, we just had to work through it, I'm like, you know well, you guys probably could have benefited from some counseling as well, but um, yeah,' right. No, for real, but, and and I think it's just something that needs, that's why I also really want to go into this field, and I'm mainly going to focus on, like, clinical psychology, Um, and also, you know, with being AMT, just having kind of the both, like, you know, medicine and mental, because I think it's just really important right now, and also, um, last thing, just, like, a lot of our children of color are getting overly diagnosed with things like ADHD and things like that, when really they just... Need a little extra help, like, um or a different way of learning, and that's you know one of the things that the education system kind of goes wrong, where everybody is kind of taught the same way and like yeah. they're expected to have the same results, but it's like everyone's different, which is why I hate standardized tests. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: yeah, yeah, that's a whole other. That's a whole other forty-five minutes. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's uh, just to pick up on something that you said, Jazz, um, and then also throw the last part of that to Selena, um, unless Jude has something to say. But I, I think that depression is – like that spike in depression has a lot, a lot, a lot to do with our growing awareness of the state of the world. Yeah. Because I remember very early in my childhood, people were talking about global warming off rip that's what we still called it that not climate change and i was like wait i just got here the planet's melting
3: earth grade yeah
0: (laughs) you're watching you talk (laughs) about it and they (laughs) are talking and shit (laughs) exactly so so we've had that ingrained this as almost as if there's like a there's a doomsday clock hanging over our heads so Mm -hmm. there's there is this innate nihilism i think that's rampant in our generation that's just like yeah go ahead i'm sorry you're the philosophy major
1: yeah you know, but, um, I remember Power. being a kid, uh, mm-hmm. I was sitting in the back seat of my mom's car. and in like kindergarten the first no, it was like first or second grade, it's when I learned about things like the civil rights movement. like I mm-hmm. would, like I, I wrote a book report on Malcolm X when I was second in second grade. I was like eight, seven or eight years old. And mm. I remember I was sitting in the back back seat with my mom. And I was like, "Your oh, mom, I hate white people."
5: <laughs> my like, mom,
1: this is white lady, and she's like, what
5: the fuck, dude?"
1: I do hate Oliver, my best friend, who was white. My cousin Matthew, and I'm like, "No, they're okay." But I got that from them showing us like the regular tra- textbook civil rights videos of the dogs and the fire hoses. Yes. And I'm Mm -hmm. seven, eight years old, and that was already instilled in me. And then another thing I remember was when Obama got elected, when I was in fourth or fifth grade, there were these two kids that were going for John McCain, and I felt the beef immediately. Like, I was, 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 you know, didn't have a lot of friends in school at the time, but I felt that divide. Like... Mm -hmm. Even the kids, I wasn't I was messing with either of them, but I saw the split. I was like, yo. Mm-hmm. And I'm 10. Yeah. So what Justin just said about that instilled nihilism in us, it mm-hmm. I I can I can that resonates with me. And I can feel that because I've been watching this, you know, my whole life, you know. Like i yeah. and we should we, children should all be learning these things. They should learn their history, but like it shouldn't be you can see the divide and you instill it and feel like you have to just, you know, get down to lay down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really and and um, it, 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 one of the things about it is it makes, when you talk about generational relationships, it makes that dialogue so difficult. A lot of us have older parents. Um, and it's like, well, we already did what we have to do. We're on our way out so y'all deal with it. It's like, but it's like, well, know, first of all, you know, I would hope that you guys are still around for a while, but also we can talk about fixing this together. Like it doesn't just have to be a thing where, well, the world was fine when I was growing up and I guess something happened. It. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but it was not. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, number one, it wasn't, but you know, it's, it's, Again, that comes with that global awareness, right because now we' now we know what's going on in Yemen, now we know what's going on in yeah. Sudan and all mm-hmm. of that stuff and and so it's like you know let's look at this it's 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 bigger than just us, and you know then you're a hippie and it's you're not thinking about yeah. like, about about yourself but um yeah, I think that that is a real challenge, a real block in generational relations, and it's why so many people do feel like like you said. Um, we just got to wait for them to die off, you know, because uh, but then the problem with that is all of those people have been grooming other like all those old white men have been mm-hmm. grooming other middle middle aged white men to come <laughs> up behind them. So, you know, I, I don't want to get on my abolitionist tip here, but um, and but, yeah, I think that, that that's definitely very
1: um key. Go ahead. And also, do you think the workload that is placed on people like the 40 hour week nine to five? affects us mentally as well. I remember in the first couple of times I was taking my philosophy classes and it was um, I think it was Plato or Aristotle and they said one of them. yeah, it was one of them and one of the things was to live in a political society, to be a part of a community. You sh- and to vote, you can't be like a millionaire. So millionaires weren't allowed mm-hmm. to vote because they mm. were working so much that they didn't have time to think about what to do in, in their communities. Obviously, whatever what the hell they call that mm. in ancient Greece. But I think that would go well for the times now. And I'm thinking about it like, yo, not a lot of people are aware of political leaders, communal uh, community meetings, because they're overworked. They're 9 to 5. They're not going to go from working at 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. to sit in a two or three hour community meeting
5: Mm-hmm.
1: after work do you think us being overworked and even children are overworked i mean selena i mean you're in education or do you think those kids are overworked and are we just working our entire lives you know kids people think that kids just need to go to school and play and they're having recess but nah those kids are you know turning to fucking hamsters you know <laughs> yeah you know crashing on these on math tests english tests
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, not only that, Selena, but I also wanted to get your response to what Jasmine said about um, that kind of because even who, who, people who aren't, you know, learning disabled, uh, if, if a kid like looks at the ceiling for too long, ADHD. So like, mm-hmm. you know, so does, do you see that in your own um, experience? Or how do diagnoses like that affect if there are, you know, kids who are both learning disabled, and they have ADHD? Um, how does that change the nature of your interaction with them? So that, but Jude's question first, or both?
2: Jude's <laughs> <Joseph's> question.
0: <laughs> Mine. Jude uh, was asking me how you feel about like us working. Start like we start working as soon as we're born, basically. Like if you that like overwork mentality, do you see that in your own um, school? Well, yeah,
2: like um, for example, like kindergarten. I thought kindergarten was more like play. You know, you have play doh and like, letters, and, like, you learn through play, I thought that's what kindergarten was, because that's what I remember from when I was in kindergarten, but mm-hmm. now the kindergarten curriculum is completely different, like, the kids have to read, like, C, D, E level books by the time they get out of kindergarten, and then they should be mm-hmm. able to write, like, at least a paragraph, um, and I'm like, what? Well, like, these kids can't even, they don't even know their letters, they have to form the mm-hmm. letters, I'm like, they need to learn better. Sound letter names, and I'm like, It's too fast. I was like, wait, what? Like, they have to add, subtract, know numbers, write numbers. They just have to know all these terms at five years old. And I'm like, they're still developing. Like, they have to learn how to communicate, how to express themselves. So it's like, we're taking away so much from a person trying to just, like, teach them all this information. Just, like, learn, learn, learn. Instead of, like, wait, like, we need to let these children, like, learn on their own so that they actually you know, learn the,
5: it, yeah.
2: you know, so it's just, I mean, I thought in the was completely different and then it's just like an eye opener as to, you know, how the school system is. It's just, we're just trying to instill them with all this information. It's just like, yeah, remember this and remember that instead of actually getting the child to like learn through, you know, by that.
0: Yeah. Cause we're teaching to tests yeah. and, and then you wonder like, what if, what if we, what if we did what we do for college earlier like what if we Mm -hmm. found out what children were interested in from the jump so that we're not just you know pumping them with stuff that they'll that they genuinely feel and are right to think that they'll never really use i mean like i you know i'm all for i feel like i've kind of always been getting a liberal arts education by the time i got to middle school i went to this place called the center school which is like i describe it as like um like an, an indie school like their indie movies. It's, it's like, it, it, it really is an independent school. It's not private, it's public, but it's not really, it's not a PS. So it's just like this independently started school and they were very big on like, you know, you take literature all four years, fifth grade lit, sixth grade lit, seventh and eighth, because they started at fifth grade. Um, we had to learn Latin. We had to, uh, you know, we took different social studies courses. Yeah, I mean, like, so part of it was, you know, because we we breed kids who take who who scorch the SHSAT, and then they go to great high schools. But it's like why? That's why so many. That's I feel like that's it's an identity crisis. Talk about our generation, <clears throat> because every everything about what we're supposed to be doing is related to school. So that by the time we graduate, we graduate, we're like, what? there's there's not another thing unless you are like all of you going to higher education masters and doctorates and whatnot me i'm pretty much going to get my bachelor's and go sit down somewhere but like (laughs) when i'm when i'm when i'm doing that um i definitely am, am anticipating this sort of like oh my 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 days are open like i'm not School isn't my, my high school, LaGuardia, I was there eight to four. That's this, that's a nine to five moved up. It's the same length of time. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it is super, super grueling, but, um, you know, I do think that, um, well, I'm confident in all three of the people on this chat, you know, as far as making change in their respective fields, I think you're all good people and, uh, and intelligent and, and compassionate. Um, you know, here on HBO, we always like to end on a positive note. So um, if you've heard our episodes, you know we always ask what people's songs of the week have been.
4: Wait, hey, hey, real quick, Justin, can I, can I say something? Oh, please do. Please do. Oh, nice. No, oh, yeah, so um, I have a friend, a 30 year medical student. And she told me when I was telling her about my struggles in studying, she was like, don't forget the fact that you are a test taking machine and mm. you're prime for and I was like, mm. Ooh. but that blew my mind because it's so true. We're primed to take tests in terms of medicine anyway. And probably a lot of other things too. You're primed to take tests but you can get to the next level and show your worth, quote unquote, right? Yeah. And that's a system that needs to change entirely. But it's just something to think about that Selena said that made me think about. Um, and the other thing is in terms of diagnoses, I, fe- I forgot what Jasmine said, but she reminded me of this. I, I, uh, but it's about... The differences between like men of color and women of color, in terms of getting access to the resources, mm. I, men of color do not ask for help enough.
0: No, nah.
4: in all fields.
5: Mm-hmm. Like,
4: and then there's a lot of budding published research showing that women of color are doing substantially better than men of color right now, in all fields, because they're getting scholarships, they're getting into high professional, higher professional jobs, they're getting probably paid more in some circumstances. And they're just doing so applaud to like the black women out there who are doing great things because you all period. But the men of color at the diagnosis feels like they need to do everything on their own. And that's just that's a generational ego between men. Like you need to be yes. a man, you need to take care of the family, you know, all that nonsense. And we just need to ask for help in all fields and not be afraid of it. Because like in the medical field, my my wife friend can act like Uncle Bob you know, who's a doctor for help. And I also have are you trained to be a clinician. I can't do that. Most minority friends can't do that. So yeah. we, need to ask, we need to use our resources and ask other people for help. And I think that's just an issue that we face as black men that we need to continue like progressing. In.
0: Yes, sir. Absolutely. And that also, then it, it pulls into, um, our, our rampant health issues. Cause we don't go to the doctor. we're
5: just just like well i'll I'll deal
0: with it we don't we don't go unless something's falling off i heard somebody say like you know it'll be fine um so super well said um i i always pray spotify's discover weekly they bless me every monday they i don't i i've never i don't know how their bot is so sophisticated i don't know if it's actually like um, an intern sitting and going through my playlist and being like he would like this i'm pretty sure it's just a robot but um they blessed me this week so um I really like as of right now. Uh well first of all, the Chloe and Halley album was full of bops. Um so just to pick one from that, Busy Boy, really good. Um then I'm gonna go to looking for, that's with the, the number four, not spelled out by Crush, who's a South Korean singer. This dude is one of the best R and B performers in the game right now, period. And he has been for a while but he's starting to blow up now. Um, I'm a little bit of a K-pop stan, guys, just so you know. <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have an account yet, but um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. And then the third one, um, I really liked, oh, this song called Mad Angle by a British uh, guy called Shay Lingo. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, I've been listening to a lot of British music lately because they have fun accents. Yeah.
1: That's, where, that's
0: where I'm at right now. Jude?
1: Um, R. P. to the guy pop smoke. Uh, make it rain. Uh, mm. that new Freddie Gibbs Joined Alfredo it was crazy. So I had to. I gotta that. listen to that. Listen to it, man. Uh, Frank Lucas. Start with that one. Frank Lucas with uh Benny the Butcher, and mm. most recently, I was listening to my mother's favorite um Italian opera, uh, Andre Bocelli, Conte Partito. I oh, love him. Yeah. yeah. June's gonna be in, in Italy by next hey, wait, year. Well really? you, know, you know on today. hmm not... <laughs> <Yeah.
5: laughs> we...
0: see? see what <laughs> we bring <laughs> together the people we do. Um I will be yeah. in Italy. But we'll June's gonna be in yeah by next summer. <laughs> <laughs> um who's next? Who's got their songs ready?
3: I'm ready. Um Chloe Holly and Gali Hour was amazing. Um my favorite one okay, probably like don't make it harder on me and do mm. it. Those are amazing. Um the song I found this morning, All I Need by Jacob Collier. And because Yo,
0: Jacob Collier, bro? Sorry, I'm
3: I, I'm, I'm just being put on, <laughs> so like send me some yeah. Um Will do. and because I'm super old, um, she's a Batman to <laughs>
0: Period. <laughs> Selena, you said yeah. you were listening to um, the Division album.
2: I was. I haven't finished listening to it because I have, like, all these different things that I haven't really, like, sat down to listen to it, but...
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But I've been listening to... Um, I like Sam Smith when I'm doing work. I love his voice. The so, Midnight gotcha. Train has been, like, on replay. That's
0: a good um, one.
3: Such a good album. Um,
0: and Rick? No, oh, no I'm oh. No, no, no. no did, well, you have more. Oh. I don't know. You... You kind of do this thing where when you when you take a pause, it looks like um, you're done speaking. So I wasn't sure. Like it's like an elongated comma. <laughs> yeah, but do you have two more or like specifically? Oh, I have
2: one more. Um, I want you around.
0: By Snow Allegra, that's a vibe for sure. Yeah. Snow like Allegra, Rick. Vibe. You listening to Bad Bunny or or did I stereotype <laughs> you when I posted that? <laughs> definitely.
4: I like the bad Bunny though, he's cool. Um, for all the metal any, any metalheads here? Rick, a metal I don't fan. know enough but I want to get into more I
0: actually do so dude I'm, I'm gonna
4: put you on right now Trivium is the band What the Dead, say. What I got the dead Man Say What the Dead Men Say oh, What the Dead Men Say if you're into like that's a good starter song to get into metal okay. Um, okay. Shook Once Part 2 by Mob Deep that's I think listen to that like, pretty, pretty often <laughs> I love that song and also on Roddy Rage right now What's the song. High Fashion. I've been bumping to that lately.
0: I didn't think I liked that song when I first heard it. I was like, oh, but then I was, it was on my own repeat playlist it, Like within a week. I was, it was like one of those things where you're reluctantly bopping and then you just give <laughs> yeah. into it. It's
4: catchy, man. It's catchy. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to thank our guests for joining us. That's a wrap for us today, beloveds. If you want more hashtag Uptown Love. You can find our episodes new and old on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. As always, you thank you for kicking it with us. Does anybody have anything um, very wise and witty to say as we exit?
3: Can I make a plug?
0: Oh, please you do. Yes, I was actually going to say.
3: Okay, so tomorrow, um, I hope you all can join. Um, tomorrow, I just wanted to do, like, kind of an open dialogue conversation with um, people of color of my age with what's going on right now, kind of, like, the back-to-back, you know, punch in the face of pandemic mm-hmm. and revolution so we're just gonna have some people like on talking about it um and then anyone can like come in ask questions comment whatever so it's gonna be at six it's gonna be on youtube live but i'm also gonna post a link on my ig and facebook so that's yes underscore sir. Y'all, underscore 97.
0: y'all tune in or else i'm sending jude after you he's gonna be bumping zelda <laughs> all the way you're gonna hear chains (laughs) (laughs) but everybody be well and we will catch you next time peace out blessings and blessings